Hello and welcome to the Future Engineering Club podcast. My name is Jack Lomas and thanks for joining me. This episode, I'll be interviewing Peter Milden, co-founder and COO of Vivacity Labs, hearing about their work bringing artificial intelligence to the way local authorities monitor our roads. Before we dive into it, let me tell you a little bit about the Future Engineering Club. Founded in 2019, the Future Engineering Club exists as an industry working group focused on enabling collaboration between construction tech startups, industry decision makers, and venture capital investors. We've welcomed over 400 industry leaders over the series of events, helping to enable four term sheets issued from investors to startups, three commercial partnerships, one product partnership between startups, and lots of hiring in between. Now for the podcast. Peter Milden is a co-founder and COO of Vivacity Labs. He comes from an engineering background, meeting his co-founder at university, where they were designing and building a solar-powered car. They founded Vivacity in late 2015 with a view to bring artificial intelligence into the road infrastructure space and have launched an intelligent video sensor and traffic prediction product to date. Hi, Peter. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Good afternoon, Jack. Hey, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time here. So tell us a little bit about Vivacity Labs and the work that you do. Hi, yes. So uh, Vivacity Labs was uh, started by myself and two colleagues about four and a half years ago. We've been really focusing on bringing machine learning, artificial intelligence into the traffic infrastructure, road traffic infrastructure space. And initially started by saying, can we gather better data about how road spaces are being used? So our main product to date is a video-based sensor that produces anonymous data on the number of pedestrians, cars, vans, trucks using a road space and how they're interacting with each other, how they're um, moving around and using that space. That has uh, led on to us having a huge amount of data about how different roads are being used. And that's uh, sort of produced the opportunity for us to then put some analytics behind that. So we now have an algorithm that is uh, predicting over the next minutes and hours how busy roads will be in the near future, as well as uh, reporting trends through the likes of the Department for Transport to give them an insight on, particularly during COVID-19, how demand for different modes of road transport are changing with time. In the previous episode, I spoke about your research with TFL related to vehicle and pedestrian traffic. This sounds like an impressive piece of work. What were your findings and how did this work come about? Yeah, so we've had a very successful set of trials now with Transport for London looking at being able to quantify the number of cyclists using key routes um, away from segregated cycle lanes. So there are other cyclist counters on the market that are able to cope with scenarios where you've just got cyclists. But the moment you mix them into a busy urban road that has pedestrians walking across the street in the same area and uh, motorbikes and cars regularly cutting into the cycle lane Um, other methods of trying to count cyclists do really start to struggle and that's been sort of the main focus of what we've been delivering for tfl we're almost as a byproduct of the way that we've gone about solving that particular challenge though it means that we have data on the pedestrians milling about and crossing the road in random places as well as understanding the number of cars taxis and buses going down the road so actually the scope of work there while it started very much as a can we understand how cyclists are using this road 
this sort of slightly chaotic road space, um, it has become a very powerful tool for TfL to get that full picture of every mode that is uh, using their road space. Um, the actual project originally came about from a piece of work that we did with Traxxas. Traxxas is a company that provides traffic data um, very established in the marketplace and they're actually on our cap table they made a very early investment in Vivasti back in 2017 and they came to us with the challenge that TFL had put out saying we'd like to uh, pitch your technology through to uh, TFL and they've worked very closely with us through the initial phases of demonstrating and proving that our technology um, has worked and they've been a fantastic route to market for us as well uh, TFL and Traxxas have worked together in the past. Um, they know and trust each other. So it's been a good way for, I mean, particularly back in 2017 when we were only a couple of years old, uh, a good way to get uh, trust with the likes of TFL as well. Brilliant. We've started to see increased levels of cycling influence policymakers to increase the investment in cycle routes. Do you think that this increased bike usage is a signal of a permanent change in city based mobility or that it's more of a case? of vehicle-based travel is still diminished, but will recover to previous levels post-COVID. I certainly think that COVID-19 has devised, it's clearly had a huge impact on the way that people are traveling, full stop. If you look at the levels of cycling at the weekends, they are now higher than they were prior to the lockdown and indeed higher than they were this time last year. So it's not just a, it was cold in February and people weren't cycling thing. There are definitely more cyclists on the road, I say at the weekend. So it's quite a leisure driven activity still at the moment. Um, the amount of cyclists during the week at uh, key commuting times is creeping up, but so is car usage creeping up. So I think that the jury is still out on whether there has been a major modal shift caused by the COVID-19 scenario. Um, that all said, though, if, if you look at the data over a longer term, we are seeing a trend in terms of a modal shift towards cycling anyway. Uh, clearly, the climate emergency is striking a chord with some people and they are choosing to use an alternative uh, way of uh, getting around and getting to work. So if you look at our existing network of uh, 78 sensors in Oxfordshire, uh, that's been in place now for over 18 months. And we've been looking at not just the uh, changes in cycle behaviour during COVID-19, but across that entire 18-month period. Um, what we've seen in that particular city is that the uh, percentage of cyclists on the road has been creeping up roughly in line with growth in that city. So we're seeing more journeys take place, but we're not seeing more cars. And I think that, yeah, that modal shift is actually quite important to keeping a city like Oxford going, where the roads are already very congested, um, being able to get that extra capacity through using the uh, modal shift to cycling. Fundamentally, though, I think it's something that we kind of need to achieve. It's been very clear looking at the data through the various progressions of the lockdown and now the unwinding afterwards that there is a sort of critical level of traffic within a city at which point you do start to see it snarling up. We've all been enjoying roads that have been free-flowing for the last uh, seven or eight weeks and it didn't take the full sort of drop down to 40% of the traffic level to achieve that. Actually the traffic started moving much more quickly. So if we can see five 10% of people move to start using their bikes rather than cars. I think we'll see a benefit across the entire mobility space. And speaking of 
about your work with local authorities. How have you found the adoption of live data as a replacement of the traditional methods of vehicle counting, etc.? It's been a challenge in certainly from place to place. There's been a very good uptake of our data in, in some cities. It's been slightly slower in others. But I think trying to generate a shift from uh, traditional survey type methods through to live data has been one that has been slightly slower to sort of get the uh, ball rolling on. There are clear benefits and I think COVID-19 has shown these benefits more clearly than ever before in having if not live data at least 365 days a year data because weird things happen. So it's well known in the transport modelling space that uh, you have to pick a normal day to do your survey in order to build the model. Whereas actually there are lots and lots of abnormal days influenced by the weather, influenced by whether there was a road traffic accident that way, influenced by whether there was a football match happening in the vicinity at the time. So you do get a lot of variation. During COVID-19, there's been a huge amount of variation and sort of the day-by-day change in traffic behaviours has suddenly become very interesting. To all of our clients who already had uh, data feeds coming through all of the time, they've been able to get a huge amount of insight out of that and learn a huge amount about how their road network actually functions. Whereas all of the places that are still relying on temporary surveys actually cancelled all of the surveys because they weren't going to be normal days. So you've ended up with this polarisation of the market where some places have suddenly got this wealth of information and others have got absolutely nothing to some extent. It has been a bit of a challenge making that story, but I think the current um, situation is helping make the case for live data. But there are other sort of cases for uh, installing our sensors. Uh, so the example I gave in Oxfordshire earlier, um, that was very much about being able to monitor this modal shift towards cycling. It's a similar motivation behind the work that TfL are doing. And simply because the variation from one day to the next in cycling being weather dependent means that if you're using a manual sampling counting method, you're not going to see the trends um, nearly as well as if you are able to filter out those impacts. The amount of cars going down the road in any one day, so I'll say that again, the amount of cars going down the road in any one day isn't massively influenced by the weather, whereas um, cycling clearly is. So having that data over a much longer period of time is necessary. And what tips would you give to other startup founders tackling large-scale traditional methods of decision-making? And what can they do when they hear the dreaded phrase, but this is the way we've always done it? Well, the traditional way to fight that this is the way we've always done it uh, mentality is to be to go in with a really strong return on investment type argument, particularly if you're in a B2B world. So that's sort of business to business sales. Um, it, you can quite often persuade the CFO to part with cash if you're going to save them twice as much. Um, what we have found actually more challenging is going into the public sector as as opposed to the private sector. So you talk to a lot of investors, we're a uh, B2G company that sells hardware. And I think those two words couldn't be a bigger turnoff to quite a large part of the investor industry. It's something that is slowly starting to change. I'm, I'm really glad that we went down the path that we did go down. A large part of it was because we as founders wanted to make a benefit to society, but we also think that there is a real and true market here. We wouldn't be doing it otherwise. I think investors are starting to come round to that uh, viewpoint as well. 
if you are another founder in that space, I guess the main message is that the sort of the herd mentality of investors aren't always right. And actually spotting that new gap in the market can leave you in a niche where you're in a very strong and powerful position. But don't expect it to be easy. If you go down the, uh, oh, just another app route, you might find it uh, a little easier. But um, I suspect that the value that you'll get out of it in terms of uh, yeah your enjoyment as well as potentially the uh, end financial output might not be uh, rewarding. I couldn't agree more. Tier one consultancies and contractors are often seen as the route to market for startups through their access to large frameworks and tenders with clients such as Highways England. What has been your experience working with these organizations and is that always the best route to market? There's definitely value with the uh, tier one contractors, particularly when you're talking to the likes of Highways England. Um, We've got a very successful partnership going at the moment, delivering our CCTV analytics to Highways England through one of the tier ones. And I say some definite value there. But they also cause a sort of commercial headache and distraction as well, to some extent. There are quite a lot of them. You've got to sort of manage all of those different relationships. And particularly on the uh, consultancy side of things, they're obviously trying to provide impartial advice to their clients, which means that as an actual sales route for the startup, they're not necessarily the best route to market in that scenario because they're not allowed to recommend one product over another necessarily. I've actually seen over the last four years a change in mentality from certainly from Highways England, but also from a lot of the market towards wanting to work more directly with SMEs as well. Um, I think there's still a long way to go, but it is certainly possible to work directly with the big clients and build the company up to a point where it is known and trusted by the players to the point that they're willing to award direct contracts as well. Thanks, Peter. And one last question. What does the next 12 months look like for you and the team at Vivasti? I think we're on the edge of a bit of a wave that we're expecting to break pretty soon, actually. There's been so much movement in the marketplace, sudden movement in the marketplace around active travel. And I say particularly with the the Transport Secretary's announcement of extra funding to be accelerated into making this transition into road spaces being set aside for cyclists and pedestrians. We're starting to see lots of inbound requests for our services come in, which is something that hasn't really happened before. We've always had to sort of generate our leads. So I think we're on the edge of something really big at the moment um, from uh, sort of delivering the product that I've been uh, talking about throughout this podcast. The next 12 months is also going to be really exciting with another product that we're building in the background that's looking at optimizing urban road space in real time. Um, So yeah, watch this space. We've uh, hopefully got some interesting stuff coming out soon in that area as well. Sounds like a really exciting period ahead. Peter, thanks so much for joining us and really appreciate your time. Catch you soon. Yeah, thank you very much, Jack. Have a nice evening. 